Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Hallelujah. Please be seated. Now, it's a special month in Celebration Church because this is one of the epicenters of what God has called us to emphasize in the body of Christ. If there is any one message that the Lord is using us to emphasize in these last days, it will be the theme of the month. And, and that's why I want you to really pay attention. You see, especially if you just joined Celebration Church. Chances are it has not really registered the company to which you belong. And I don't know what drew your attention. Maybe it's the music, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong in that. Or maybe because um, there's so many energetic people here, or the brand, or whatever. You know, there are a lot of compliments we receive, even to things as basic important but basic in the scheme of scale of preference as basic as banner design you know all those things are important but you you have to understand nine and a half out of ten people will tell you that they joined celebration church and stayed because of the word amen somebody and so you must make sure not only are you here for the word, but that you understand what word specifically. Because there are different messages out there. What word specifically? All right, turn your Bibles very quickly. I want to start by, at least by way of introduction, sharing what I might have shared had I been with you last week. And then I will try my best to ease into the topic of today. And um, I doubt that I'll be able to finish it, but we conclude some other time. Amen, somebody. You're going to need to put on your thinking caps for this one. Let me say this. The word of God is the highest science. And whatever effort you put into mastery in any other thing in life, put in double for the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's not a thing of virtue for you to continue to say, I like it simple. I like it simple. It's not a thing of virtue. Learn to give God your best. How can you, a graduate of engineering, claim that the word of God, you know, you always like it simple? What do you mean by that? Give God your best. Not your best by side, say, give God your best. And so we're going to try to ease into this as much as we can. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. I want you to open it because we are going to read in unison so that it will register in your spirit because what you're actually reading is a note of warning and a caution. 
Are you there? Read as loud as you can. 2 Corinthians 2, 11, 1, 2, go. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Everybody read together one more time. One, two, go. See, listen to me, friends. Satan's advantage is disguise. He thrives on the ignorance of people. He thrives on the fact that when he's walking against you, walking against your life, chances are that you never know. And that's the, that's the major advantage that he has. These guys. You see, the movies lied to you. He's not as conspicuous. Because in the movies, when Satan appears, you know, he has one very large horn and he's wearing red. I don't know why it has to be red all the time. That beautiful color has been so scarred. Red or black. And he's just obvious. But you see, the Bible tells us that instead, the, the devil appears to be an angel of light. So number one, more often than not, the devil will appear to be on your side. You won't, you won't always see an enemy outrightly except his cover is already blown. Come on, are you listening to me? I am telling you more often than not, the devil will rather be walking in disguise. And that's why Paul had to warn the church and say, we are not ignorant of his devices. Because if you are ignorant, he will gain advantage. Come on, are you listening to me? This is so important. So his true strength is this guy's. He will pretend to be an angel of light, giving you good advice. Eve thought, I mean, Adam doesn't have my time. He left me here in this garden. And here's this nice serpent just sharing his opinion. <laughs> Guys, hold your wife on. But, but you see, he didn't come outrightly for war. He pretended to, to care about Eve. Oh, you mean you've not tasted that fruit? You're missing, girl. You're missing. And then the Bible says Eve began to see the fruit differently. She saw the fruit as one desirous to make one wise. How can you tell by looking at it? That perception changed her appetites. Has it happened that there is something you never liked until your friends began to force about it and then your opinion changed? Oh, listen, that's how the devil tries to influence your opinion on things. And so the, the Bible warns you, we are not ignorant of his devices. So he's training you to learn how to spot the devil from a mile away. Let me give you an example of something that we have unanimous understanding about. You know, I was, seeing, I was talking to someone in Abuja, and he talked about how rough Lagos is. He came to Lagos, and in, in one month, he was duped three times. And I looked at him, I said, oh, oh. Because there, there, are, there are some things you will know, you will see someone do, and you know he's just new in Lagos. Because you are walking on Oshodi with iPhone 14. Hello? 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> Uh, sir, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> you know, there's some things you see someone do, you call him. Yeah, just, yeah, new. Okay. They know they do like that. <laughs> bro, bro. It's just so, so, 
has it happened that maybe someone has such a bad reputation, even when he looks innocent, especially at one particular area, everybody's like, hey, for instance, someone who is a thief. There was a meme I saw, and guys were just talking outside their car. I think they were playing cards on the bumper of their car, you know, on, on the boots of their car. And then one guy came and greeted them. As the guy came, like everybody packed their belongings. He said, hey, bye-bye, you know, enter the car. They were asking us, where's your phone? Where's your, your wristwatch? Check your wristwatch. <laughs> You know, there are people like that. Let me give you another example you can relate to. Has it ever happened? There was someone, you didn't know the person's character, but each time the person came to you with an honest need, seemingly honest need, ah, and they always have the most grandiose stories. My uncle just f- fell from a five-story building. He broke his left shoulder, and they said, if I don't bring money now, he will die. You'll be like, ah, Really? And then maybe you even give him money. Then the next day he comes. My auntie just, you know, she was cooking soup. And there was an explosion. It burnt the left side of her face. She's like, what? Oh, my God. Then you give the person money. Then the next day again, the person comes. Then you begin to suspect. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now there are some people, the moment they say they want money, you know they are lying. So how does Paul not just say because he's a clergy, because he's deep with the things of the Spirit, he, he, he doesn't just say that he knows the devices of the enemy. He says, for we know. He wants the church to come to a unanimous understanding of this character of Satan. Do you understand? Because you see, it works to our advantage that spirits don't grow old, they don't die. And so we have a rich history from the Word of God. We've seen the devil walk and we have ample amount of history to be able to tell how we operate. You know, something interesting happened. I was casting out the devil, you know, and he said, I was the spirit that possessed the captain of the 50 that challenged Elijah. Can you imagine? I said, bro, you're old. <laughs> yeah, I'm just joking. I, was, I, I didn't have time for that. But, you know, but I was like, you know, what? And I'm trying to calculate how old. So, I mean, it dawned on me, that was like 2011, it dawned on me that the same spirits they dealt with in Bible days were still dealing with. They don't change. And that works for our advantage. I said, good, Elijah called down fire. Oh, you're the same guy? Elijah called down fire. Now, watch me. For we are not ignorant of his devices. If you are ignorant, he will walk in disguise and wreak a lot of havoc. So for instance, in your health, if you're not careful, the doctor will give you so many medical, you see, and make no mistake, there are some health conditions that just happen because you're careless or just because a man is fallen and so your body has the propensity if care is not taken to develop some sickness. But a good number of them are caused by demons, a spirit of infirmity. So the Bible says Jesus talk, saw this woman who was bent over, and in Luke chapter 13, he says, Ought not this woman whom Satan has bound? 18 years, ought not this woman to be loosed? Now, I assure you, the doctor had a diagnosis and said, Oh, your, your, your kidney level, if there's anything like that, is low. 
<laughs> no, God bless doctors. Thank God for all that they do. You do understand? Oh, my God. God really blessed doctors. But I'm just saying, Jesus saw beyond all of that, and he was right. He saw a woman bound by Satan and said, Woman, thou art loosed from your infirmity. Amen, somebody. Come on, are you getting it? Now, another example. I mean, think about it. If we were looking at Job and how wealthy he was, you will have a lot of analysis as to why he's doing well financially. You will come to an intellectual conclusion on why he's enjoying financial sustainability. Oh, he's an economic genius. He has savings. He has investments. But listen, the devil saw a hedge of protection around him. Come on, are you with me? So thank God for hard work. Thank God for intelligence. But there is such a thing as a spiritual hedge. The moment that hedge was compromised, in one day, are you listening to me? There is a spirit realm. In one day, all those things were lost. For we are not ignorant, the Bible says, of his devices. And I thank God that the church has woken up when it comes to all of these things. And there's a smorgasbord of sermons on prayer, on fasting, and how these tenets of devotion keep the devil at bay. But there is something that the church is not as aware of. And that's ignorance itself. And that the greatest defense against the devil is not fasting as important as fasting is. Please don't get me wrong. Jesus said, this kind goeth not out. Come on, are you with me? So fasting has its place. But the greatest defense against the enemy is not prayer. Again, don't get me wrong. The Bible says the effectual, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. This is a praying church, isn't it? But you have to understand that it is knowledge that makes prayer and fasting efficacious. Your prayer can be a waste. Come on, are you with me? The seven sons of Sceva, did they not pray? So it came down to knowledge. I know Jesus. I know Paul. I don't know you. And that's what the church needs to learn. In fact, in scale of preference, the devil doesn't mind you praying if you don't know. Because if you are praying and you don't really have knowledge, it's akin to someone wielding a gun without bullets. It's akin to a dog without any teeth. You can't bite. You can't harm the devil. Oh, I know what I'm telling you. Knowledge. So, when Paul says we are not ignorant of his devices, he must be talking about a well-established doctrine on spiritual warfare. So now, let's leave Nollywood. Because some of you, that's where you get your understanding of demons and how they operate. Some people, all they know about witches is Nollywood. All they know about the devil is Nollywood. So let's get into the Bible. How does the devil 
truly operate? What is his priority? What is he really after? There are two instances in the Bible where the devil outrightly came for someone, maybe to tempt them. Not through circumstances, not through people. He came himself. The two instances are the temptation of Eve and the temptation of Jesus. Isn't that true? Now, those two instances have something in common. Contrary to all that you think about spiritual warfare, you know, some people quote the scripture and it's actually erroneous in interpretation, but no, no time for that. The devil cometh not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. You know, so they think that whenever the devil shows up instantly, like in those movies, you know, the pastor and the herbalist are throwing fireball, you know. That there will be a showdown. But when the serpent showed up, he wasn't fighting. At least, not physically. Come on, are you with me? He wasn't trying to attack Eve's health. Well, technically, he couldn't. He wasn't trying to steal all the fruit in the garden so that Eve will be hungry. Because you've been told the devil just wants you to be poor. He didn't do that. What he came for was Eve's understanding of the word of God and her trust in the word of God. Did God say you shouldn't eat first and foremost? He went the extreme of any tree in the garden. And Eve clarified, not of every tree in the garden. He says, but of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil, you should not eat of it. And he says, oh no, come on. He says, God knows. God knows that when you eat of this tree, you will be as gods. Like, why, do, do, why will God have to tell you what to do? You can be as gods. Knowing good and evil. Creating your own path. Your own truth. What God said is his truth. This is your truth. You know, you'll be as gods. Knowing good and evil. Do as you will. So, listen. He came to cast aspersions on the character of God and on the nature of his word. Please, are you listening to this? This is so important. The same thing in the temptation of Jesus. A voice from heaven at his baptism. This is my beloved son. And immediately the devil comes in the wilderness and says, if you are the son of God, if you are, the, what's he doing? He's acting on what was boldly and clearly declared at the baptism so that Jesus Come on, are you with me? Will either begin to act at variance to what God, God the Father had said. So, from that, we now know that the devil's priority is the word of God in your heart. Are you listening to me? So, it is true that the devil tries to make people sick, but that's a means to an end. Why does he try to make people sick? Listen, so that Job will curse God. That's why he made Job sick. What he really wanted was his faith, for his faith to fail. It wasn't really about sickness for the sake of sickness. It was sickness for the sake of faith. So that you will come, you know, I mean, so that, that was what he was trying to achieve with Job. 
Let's push a little more and see if that will affect his conviction, if that will break his spirit. So listen, there are some of you, for instance, there are places you will never step into. But when you are desperate, you will consider it. Some of you have made mistakes in the past, and you know this was true. Things got so bad. False preachers, false spiritualists that I would never even give audience. I began to consider it. Then they gave me soap. I used it. Is that not what happens to some people? Answer me. Uh, So he's bringing them to a point of compromise of their faith and of their convictions in the Lord. And that, my friends, is the goal. That's his real goal. Your faith. If you are going through a hard time right now, listen to me. Maybe this is a prophetic word for you. The devil is after your faith. That's what he wants. You know, there's a lot I can say about the Job story, but do you notice that throughout, Job did not even suspect Satan once. It was all God, God, God. And then someone says, why would God allow Satan? You you don't understand. It was an unfair advantage to begin with that there was a hedge around Job. In a fallen world, why is there a hedge? Come on, I get what I'm saying. So, the reason Satan came is because he knew judicially he should have right to touch Job. And Job shouldn't have a hedge just because. There should be a hedge because he stays praying. Did he stay praying? Answer me. Based on what you know about spiritual warfare now, shouldn't, did, he, did Job confront Satan once? Did he, did he pray? Or he was just complaining. That's not how you get the job done. But anyway, that's a conversation for another day. All I'm telling you is, if you're going through a tough time, what the devil is really after is your what? Aha. Listen to me. Never forget what I'm about to say. And that's why it seems inconsistent that the devil is trying to offer some people money through illegitimate means, and he's trying to make some people poor. What does he really want? He's trying to attack their faith, and he will do it anyway, either through suffering or false abundance. Are you getting it now? So when you see the temptation of Jesus, you will now understand Satan well, because that breaks everything you knew traditionally about Satan. Satan is encouraging Jesus to use spiritual power. You are the son of God and you are hungry. Turn stone to bread. Because you see, Jesus wasn't in the wilderness in the first place because he lacked bread. He was in the wilderness in the first place for consecration. So he was fasting. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the abstinence from bread was important for his assignment. And because even if the devil makes some people poor, That's not his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is to attack your faith. If you're abstaining from food at this time, his goal switches. His goal 
is to make you want material things so much at the expense of your consecration, at the expense of your faith. That is how come it's a temptation to turn stone to bread. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? Turning stone to bread in and of itself is not wrong. Turning stone to bread instead of fasting is wrong. That's why Jesus' response was, man shall not live, come on, are you with me? By bread alone. So meaning in some contexts, my demonstration of power can be seen. Because I'm in the wilderness to practice trust in the Lord and not in things. And if the devil can successfully get you to be distracted from that, oh my God. So listen, if the devil can bring you to a point where you're coming to church, but all you want is things. Even the devil who doesn't want you poor will offer you the, by himself. He will say, look at all the glories of this world. I will give you now. The same devil that is making countries poor, making people poor, will offer you those wealth for something more important. Do you get it now? It has always been about your faith. And let me tell you something that was, will bother you a little bit. As powerful as prayer is, if it was any other man, any natural man, you see, you would say he probably didn't pray well. He didn't pray with understanding. We are talking about Jesus now. But as powerful as prayer is, it did not deter the devil. The devil came to Jesus. 40 days prayer, and the devil was there. 40 days fasting, and the devil was there. The only thing that made the devil go was the word. Are you listening now? I know you are fasting, but come. Oh, I hope this won't scare you. But listen, you can be fasting and the devil will still carry you. Carry you. <laughs> hey, he will carry you to a high mountain. Not you, you understand? <laughs> yes. Like your Bible say, canopy. Do you understand? <laughs> are you getting what I'm saying? Thank you. And that just tells you. Prayer and fasting alone will not get the job done if you are ignorant. Please, are you listening to me? Uh -huh. If your perfect example faced temptation when he was, I'm not talking five-day fast. I'm not talking 10-day fasts. After that many days, the devil came not once and not twice, tempting him. It tells you your greatest defense. The only thing that will make the devil get behind you is the word. It is written. He didn't leave because Jesus was fasting. He left because Jesus quoted the word. It is written. Amen, somebody. And that's why some people are prayerful. And they're not seeing enough power. I'm telling you. That's why. That's why. I can give you stories upon stories, but, you know, the authority is the scripture. So just take what I'm saying.
Please say we may say the power of the written word. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Time flies when you're having fun. 2 Corinthians 10 from verse 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, this is a text we know very well in the church. It's been weaponized for very fierce prayer sessions. Bringing down strong. Brother, there is a stronghold in your village. There is a strong, any stronghold dug under the water, you know, or under the sea. Or under a tree, you know, and all of that. Listen, like I said, there is a space and a place for all of that. But the real stronghold, as many of you will realize, is ignorance. Beginning with the ignorance of the interpretation of this text. Look at the next verse. It says, casting down what? Did he say casting down the witch in your village? Did he say casting down anything buried in your village? What did he say you should cast down? Argument and what? Every high thing that exalts itself against what? Oh my God. So listen, the real warfare is any false teaching that stands erect against the word of God in your mind. So there is a warfare we are not aware of. Like I said, there are a thousand books on fasting, on prayer, but very few churches are interested in theology. And as long as you are getting all those things right and you don't focus on this, the devil still has a hold on you. So he says, casting down arguments. Because you see, when the devil comes, more often than not, he will not just go straight for your hell, for your money, he will put in you a thought like he tried to do with Eve. And he did successfully, unfortunately. A thought. Now, God has said, this is my will. You had no problem with that until, the sat until Satan came. So, for, for instance, some of you are coming to church, but you have contrary arguments on marriage, on sex, on money. The devil doesn't mind you playing church as long as you're not learning the word. He doesn't mind. You show up every Sunday, but are you really learning? Are you really growing? And that's why when people are so deceived to thinking that, you know, respectfully, thank God there are many churches who are getting it right, but not all churches are getting it right. Don't let the devil deceive you. It is not every place you can attend. And if you don't know that you are a baby, I will prove it to you in the word of God. So, there is warfare. Not just bringing, out, bringing down the hold of wickedness in your generation, in your lineage, and all those things that are raised in prayer points. But that argument against the knowledge of God erect in your mind. It says, bringing into captivity every thought 
to do obedience of God. So listen, when you come to a point where the word of God consistently molds you against the rebellion of your culture and you side with the word of God, war has been won. That's the warfare the church needs to be aware of. Please, are you listening to me? Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you know 100 prayer postures, but you can't open your Bible, there are some battles you will never win. And that's no prophecy of doom. Are you listening to me? That's no prophecy of doom. When the devil comes, sometimes it is not prayer that will be your advantage. It is not fasting that will be your advantage. Your response must be, it is written. And you better know what is written. You, you should have thought that after fasting 40 days, just the devil showing up, he will fall. Instead of falling, he even carried Jesus. Look at the Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11. And this is how you know that you are attending a good church. And there are quite a number of good ones there, out there. Unfortunately, not as many good ones as people think, but there are good ones. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Everybody read verse 13 together. One, two, go. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, you see, someone, not someone, many people will say, unity of the faith is for us to come together in spite of what we believe. No! Please, that's not what it means. Unity of the faith means unanimity of the faith. Meaning we come together and we believe the same thing and we speak the same thing. Listen, of course, I know that there should be some level of, excuse the expression, compromise. Because not every doctrine is a core doctrine. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, for instance, when it comes to what is called eschatology, you know, doctrine or prophecy of end times. How the end will happen. Some believe that the tribulation will happen first before the rapture. Some believe that the church will be raptured first before the tribulation. You... I'm just like, you believe Jesus is coming? You believe Jesus is coming? Come by. I don't care. I will have a problem if you say Jesus is not coming. Then fights. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I know how to pick my battles. And some people don't know how to pick battles. But there are some things that are too sacred. Too sacred. When you put a price on the gospel, that's too sacred. When you preach a methodology of salvation that has additives, apart from righteousness through faith, the gift of righteousness by faith alone, 
This is something that people in the church history died to propagate. They put swords on their neck and they refused to recant. Then you now come here just because of, do you understand what I'm saying? No, where is your fidelity for the word? And the next verse proves that what I'm saying is correct. Listen, it says that we should, no, all, all right, I'm reading from KJV from my head. It says that we should no longer be children. Oh my God. Not by as I say, grow up, grow up, brother, grow up, sister. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Listen, listen, listen. So accepting every doctrine doesn't mean you believe in the unity of the body of Christ. It means you are a child. That's what the Bible says. If you think every preacher has a point, you are a baby. That's what he says. He says that you should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. No discernment. Everything blesses you. Everybody has a point. I attended a conference years ago. It, it was wild because it was all those, you know, big Christian conferences and people came with, you know, fancy horns for some reason, maybe to celebrate, you know. And so the, the preacher said something and the person by my side blew. Bah! I was there with my dad. So my dad said, sorry, what did he say? He said, I, I don't know. Why? Why? So why you call it a blow? What's it? You, you have to understand. Some people go to church for vibes. They go to appease the guilt they feel when they don't go. They, they like lightness. You know, and they just quote some text out of context for justification. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Hey! You know? <laughs> you know? You're, you're just. Liberty. <laughs> that dance there will look like someone sit down to slap. <laughs> so when. Now, there's no word in your spirit. Please, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm a very playful person. I like to dance. I like to do all those things. I'm just saying, get your priorities right. Because when the devil comes, don't do, hey. <laughs> and that's why can kneel and beg you so that you, you see my heart and understand. I'm not saying this just to discredit anyone or anything, but I want to beg you. Go for the word. If every Sunday 
what you hear is breakthrough this, healing this. Um, you know, that's not a church, that's a hospital. And that's why some people, when they attain some level of success, they stop coming to some churches. Because you, you don't have any message for us. I'm not sick. I'm not broke. Do you understand what I'm saying? Talk to really successful people. You will see, they, they have a problem with it. You know, my wife made a multi-billionaire. And he said, he just can't understand. That people are shouting, you know. First and foremost, he can tell. The majority of the people shouting are mediocre. God bless me, bless me. And you know, you're not working hard enough. You're... Should I talk or I should not talk? The way some of you are looking at me. So, you just, like, there are some people, if they go to some churches, they will feel maybe they are God. Because majority of the prayers, they can answer it. So, why, why then do I need... So, your message, your, the version of your message that you preach, someone who is not sick, who is not poor, do they need it? Does Cornelius need your message? Does the Ethiopian eunuch need your message? Uh, probably, he needs a wife, shall but... <laughs> I just play... <laughs> No, I'm not. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. But do you get what I'm saying? I can give you a thousand reasons why you must learn this and grow up. But I will give you one. The one that touches me the most. Look at John chapter 16. John chapter 16 from verse 1. It says, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Verse 2. It says, They shall put you out of the synagogues. It says, The time cometh that whosoever, everybody read from the time cometh, one, two, go. Whoever kills you will think he's doing God's service. Listen, when you read the history of the church and you hear that Jesus was killed, who do you think killed him? Criminals? You think robbers came to his house and shot him? No! He was killed by religiously zealous people. Most of whom thought they were doing God a favor. So listen. Oh my God. Ignorance is so devastating that even if you are a religious person who wants to please God, the devil will recruit you. You will do his work and you will not know. You will be fighting against God, against his word, against his movement and not know. So he prophesied it. He says people who kill you will think they are doing God a favor. That God will be proud. They called Jesus a blasphemer. 
They would rather release Barabbas than release Jesus. Haven't you seen people fight against genuine revivals? You know, sometimes I read history and I just laugh. Because there are some people we call heroes of the faith. Heroes of the... During their time, they were persecuted. There is something about us that recognizes the value of people when they are dead. It's, it's posthumous value. Ah! I now see what he was saying. Hmm. After he's dead. And so, these same Pharisees criticizing Jesus, they were visiting the tombs of prophets, old prophets, regularly, and, you know, dropping flowers. Jesus said, you, 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 you hypocrites. You say to yourself, if, if we had been there in the time of the prophets, we wouldn't have done it. He says, but you will prove it that you are their children. Because you have to understand, listen, in retrospect, it is easy to see the mistakes that other people made. But one thing is sure, if you are not a student of the word, you will fight against God and not know. You will fight against God and not know. You will fight against God and not know. I remember when I first preached that all generosity must be from your heart, willingly, cheerfully, as unto the Lord. I said, if you don't type no devourer, we devour you. I said, if you need a devourer to motivate you to give to God, you can as well just not give. And people were angry with me. Preachers and many people in the body of Christ were angry with me. I'm, I'm not talking about because there was a debate. I'm talking about long before then. And, you know, till now I'm still shocked. Like, are you so determined to be devoured? I told you you will not be devoured. You are angry. Is, is that how devoured is hungering you? <laughs> oh, we give. You know we give as a church. In, interestingly, when I started teaching that, this was 2014, thereabouts, the giving to the church increased. I know someone who increased her gift from 10% to 40%. She was just like, wow. So you mean it's just about love? Jesus loves me. I must respond. Because sometimes we think God's people need to be policed. If you tell them this, they won't. do you understand what I'm saying? I can give you example upon example. You can find yourself in a precarious situation where even to teach the truth of God's word, you are, you, are, you are now cautious. Praise the name of the Lord. It says the time will come. People who kill you will think they're doing God's service. Devil has no problem with the church who doesn't teach the truth. It's so, it's so funny that, oh my God, let, let me give you some examples. You see, bad theology is so horrible that the devil can use the same texts 
that God uses to correct some things in the body of Christ to teach the direct opposite of what God was trying to achieve. Let me give you one example, or maybe two, depending on the time, time is fast spent. Look at Job chapter 22 from verse 23. Job chapter 22 from verse 23 to 24. It says, if you return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. It says, you shall put away iniquity from your tabernacles. It says, then you shall lay up gold as dust. How many of you know this text? Oh my God. You will lay up gold as dust. You know, you've heard good preaching about it. You know how dust comes? Even if you shut the windows, shut the door, dust will still find its way in. That even if you clean your table, if you go after two days, there's dust again. That's how money will be coming. Am I not preaching good? <laughs> One of the many secrets of Bible interpretation is the simple habit of cross-checking with other translations. You have to understand this. First and foremost, the KJV version, King James Version, is not from heaven. That's not heavenly language. You know, some people, they talk normally, and when it's time to pray, they start using thou, thou, O Lord, you know, and the angels are like, what's in the warrior? <laughs> you know, because it, to begin with, Jesus never spoke English. The Bible was not written in English. So it's a translation. So using that language doesn't make you more spiritual. Are you listening to me? It doesn't make you more spiritual. So sometimes newer translations help make things clearer. And so let's just see, for instance, what the NLT says, the New Living Translation says. It says, if you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. It says, so clean up your life. The message is clean up your life. It says, if you give up your loss for money and throw your precious gold into the river, then the Almighty will be your treasure. He will be your precious silver. So, lay up did not mean accumulate. It means regardless. So, now, something that was meant to teach us consecration regarding money is used for the opposite. Are you getting what I'm saying? I can give you examples upon examples. People, you know, <laughs> when, when you don't read your Bible well, you can be cursing yourself without knowing Someone said, we are the Joel army. Ah, ah, Joel army. Because it sounds nice. Everyone in this place, we will not break our ranks. We are marching. You did at least read well. He said, before them is like the Garden of Eden. He said, behind them is desolate. Meaning, this army is bringing destruction. So, the Joel army was an army that Joel prophesied will come against God's people because they were not in his will to bring judgment on them. And then you, you, you prophesy that over yourself. The devil will quickly agree with you, yes. Yes. 
It's true. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying here? So, oh my God. So, listen. It's no longer enough that you come to church. The days of ignorance, the Bible says, God has winked that. He's now calling everyone to repent. Sit up! You don't judge a good sermon just by oratory. Some of you, you get to carry it away by oratory. You get to carry it away. Thank God for good oratory skills. You know, some of them, you know, they help sometimes. But you want to sift through all those extra additives and listen to the message. Any small thing, the keyboard, the bang, you know, bang, bang. You know, I'm the lost in. Bang, 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 bang. You know, you know, please don't get me wrong. It's nice, it has its place. But listen well, listen, don't get carried away. Bang, 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 bang. Bang, 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 bang. Yeah! Bang, 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 bang. Wait, wait first. What are you saying? Oh, you know, we like vibes. The Bible says there was a man named Apollos. He was mighty in scriptures. When, when you, you hear that, you think he really had understanding, but that was an emphasis on his oratory, on his delivery. The Bible says he mightily convinced the Jews. So he was very persuasive in his teaching and in his delivery. Even had more result to the Jews, arguably, than Paul. Because in, in that context, Acts chapter 18, earlier, Paul had tried to preach to these people. They wouldn't listen, so he dusted his feet and left them. And that's when Apollos came on the scene and grew in popularity. But the Bible says he knew only John's baptism. The Bible says that he knew only John's baptism. So uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who, by the way, were Paul's disciples and proteges, called this man of God aside and expounded to him the way of the Lord more accurately. He had an oratory gift, but very limited knowledge. And let me tell you this. You see, Paul, he was okay, <laughs> but... You can make an argument, at least Apollos was more gifted in terms of oratory and delivery. Paul was preaching once, someone fell down and died. The day I saw that, I stopped feeling bad when I'm preaching and, you know, someone is sleeping. At least nobody has died. <laughs> the unfortunate thing is Paul had power. So even the death of the person didn't end the service. He went there, he raised the person up, and continued preaching. The Bible says he continued. He continued. You will, you will hear what? Come back. <laughs> so he said, as I was saying, hey, hey. <laughs> Nigerian universities can relate. Have you noticed the professors were usually the most boring, but they know it the most. It just tells you, thank God for oratory gifts. It's not all that matters. It's not always the judge of knowledge. 
is not always the best judge of knowledge. So you're going to have to listen, learn to listen to the word of God. Now, I'm going to continue this from next week. So now, pastor, I want to get serious with the word of God. How do I start? There are so many ways you can learn how to interpret the Bible. Not all of them are as important. I'm telling you the honest truth. I will give you the most important truth when it comes to understanding the Bible. Listen, you may have understanding of Greek, of Hebrew, of Aramaic, in and all the languages in which the Bible was originally written. If you don't know this one thing, uh, you don't know anything. I mean, the Pharisees, for instance, are an example. To be a Pharisee, you must have memorized the th- Torah by heart. Yet, the Bible says, Jesus came to his own and his own knew him not. So, how is it that you memorize the Torah, but you couldn't recognize the Messiah? I'm going to talk about the wrong use of theology. Some people, when they call themselves theologians, you, you know, they, they, they are cumbered about with so many useless information. They memorize nonsense. Just fancy terminologies, fancy things. You, you, you get what I'm saying? And then when it comes to the crux of the matter, some people, they still, they still don't know. There is one way to iron up your theology. There is something called a Christocentric perspective to Bible interpretation. It's not a perspective. That's the proper way to understand the Bible. Listen, in this generation where people use the Bible as a book of principles to learn principles in life, to learn about money, some people use the Bible to learn about money. Listen, make no mistake, there are, there, are, there are Bible principles that guide you in financial prudence and all of that. But I'll, let me advise you. If you want to learn about money, go and dust your economics book and read. Don't you sluggard. There, there are Bible principles. Don't make no mistake. And then your, the spirit can lead you. There is divine leading. But in case you are hearing it for the first time, the Bible is not for that. Are you listening to me? And from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures, able to make you wise unto salvation. Paul's word to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, I think verse 15, you can check the reference. From a child, you have known the Scripture, able to make you wise unto salvation. So, what is the aim of the Scriptures? Salvation. What is the aim of the Scriptures? So listen, the first thing to know about the Bible is its aim and objective. Every book, every project, did you do final year thesis, has aims and objectives. And so the aims and objectives of the Bible is this. The salvation of God in his Christ for all men. That's what the Bible is about. And so if you don't see Christ... The development of his knowledge for salvation for all mankind, you don't know the word of God. No matter what you learn, it's a waste. Please, are you listening to me? So listen, in the Old Testament, the crux of the Old Testament, thank God for all the stories you learned. David killed Goliath, so you learned bravery. Thank God for that. Come on, are you with me? The crux of the message is this. That in the Old Testament... 
God was prophesying about the salvation to come. And in the Gospels, God was declaring the salvation provided. And in the epistles, the announcement of the salvation to the whole world. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the Bible from beginning to end is a book on salvation. From beginning to end. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Question. The sun, moon, and stars were, only, were created days after. So what light was that? You never thought about that? The sun, moon, and stars were created days after. So what light was that? The Bible clarifies, 2 Corinthians 4. It says, God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shone in our heart to give the light of knowledge of God in the face of Jesus. So that light was a declaration of his salvation plan for all mankind. It was a metaphor. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was not literal. So the Bible introduced is an announcement of God's salvation plan. So from beginning to end. Now, the Bible says that Eve ate the fruit, gave to Adam, and then here is what God said. He said, because of what you've done, I'll put enmity between the woman and the serpent and between her seed and the seed of the serpent. Now, biologically, women don't have seed. In procreation, is the men who produce the seed. Isn't that true? It is the men who produce the seed. So, but God said, her seed. So, that was a prophecy of the virgin birth. Are you listening to me? That several centuries after, a virgin shall conceive. And that seed will destroy the works of the serpent. And this is what he says. He says, and the seed will bruise the head of the serpent. And the serpent will injure his heel. So, that tells you two things. Number one, the seed will be injured, but it will not be a devastating blow. The, the seed will not die. Do you understand what? It won't be a devastating blow. The, the seed will suffer injury, but the head of the serpent will be crushed. So how will that salvation come? The seed of the woman will suffer injury on the cross, but in so doing, the works of the devil will be destroyed. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? So now, you see prophecy upon prophecy in a veiled manner in the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, all these prophecies are then expounded. And so, Jesus will now say, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And you're like, how? What do you mean Abraham rejoiced to see my day? Jesus says, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me. And they're like, what do you mean they testify of me? Because they were indeed about him. The New Testament is an explanation of the old. So when 120 people are found speaking in a strange language, and people are inquiring, then Peter comes up and he says, this is what David prophesied. And what did he say David prophesied? He says, you will not leave my soul in the grave. Neither will you suffer your holy one to see corruption. Now, this is Bible interpretation. Peter said, David's sepulcher is still with us. His grave is still with us. So he couldn't have been talking about himself. He says, but he being a prophet and seeing ahead of time the resurrection of Christ prophesied that. So now, listen, 
that gives a fresh commentary to the Psalms that you didn't know. Psalm chapter 16, Psalm chapter 11, Psalm chapter 2. Let's look at Psalm chapter 2 as fast as possible as I begin to round off. You see, one of the many names of Christ, he introduced himself as Amen. Do you know that's one of his names? It means in Christ, Paul also said, all the promises of God are in Christ, yea and amen. So meaning, Christ came as a fulfillment of all the things prophesied in the Old Testament. In the volumes of the books it is written, I come to do your will. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it was indeed written about him. But just let's, let's look at Psalm chapter 2 as fast as possible. It says, why do the hidden rage? And the people plot a vain thing. Now, how do I know this is talking about Christ? Because in Acts chapter 4, when they told the disciples not to preach, they said, they quoted this text, and they said, right, did David prophesy? Why do the hidden rage? They gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So we know it was talking about Christ, right? They set against... The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. He says, he that sits in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord will hold them in derision. He says, he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in deep displeasure. He says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today have I begotten you. Who is he talking about? All right. And this is talking about the resurrection, right? You see the interpretation of this in Hebrews chapter 1. We will expound on this later. Midweek service and then on Sunday. All right. Verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces with the potters of vessel. It says, now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling. Everybody read verse 12 together. One, two, go. <laughs> it says, kiss the sun in ancient way. Ancient days, this was a sign of allegiance. When you go to greet a king, you kiss his signet ring and you're acknowledging his royalty, right? So now he's telling the kings of the earth, he says, there is a son exalted. Pay homage to him. Believe in him. Receive his rulership. He says, lest he be angry and you perish in your ways. Meaning, oh my God, the only way there will be safety spiritually is by the son. Are you getting this? And he says, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Any such person in this place? And then you come to the days of Abraham. God said, I will bless you and make you a blessing. He says, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And Paul is explaining this to the church at Galatia. Let's quickly look at that. Galatians chapter 3. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. 
I look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 8, I'm going to wrap it up here and then we pray. Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. I want you to read loud as you can. One, two, go. And the scripture, foreseeing that God will justify the heathen through faith, preached before the what? Unto who? Saying what? Now listen. When you were studying the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 from verse 1 to 3, which is the reference here, you thought it was about blessing. And they use this about your business, that God is going to bless you and make you a blessing. You know, and all of that. And yeah, yeah, okay. But well, that's not the real context of the, of the scripture. It says, when God said, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed, Paul said God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. In what way was that the gospel? Two simple things you must understand. Number one, the definition of the word blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? It means to be declared righteous without works. The Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So, normally righteousness is in your action. You do a series of right things and you are declared righteous. But Abraham only believed. He saw God's salvation plan and believed. And he was declared righteous. And now, the Bible calls that a blessing. Not just that. He says everyone who believes in Christ and what he has done is declared righteous. Just like Abraham. So now, that's what blessing is. Come on, are you with me? Now, so... He says, in thee, talking about someone through his lineage. Meaning this blessing of righteousness and justification by faith will be established by someone in his lineage. Talking about Christ. So what God was saying, and let me expatiate it is, somewhere down your lineage, Christ will be born. He will die for the sins of all men. And everyone who believes in him will be declared righteous. So in you shall all the families of the earth be what? Now that's the gospel. So I said all of that to say this. One of the most important ways to understand the Bible is to begin to understand that it is primarily about Christ, his promise of salvation, and you receiving it and you announcing it. When you understand that, there are so many other things to understand. But when you understand that, I mean, you are 70% ready. And so Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And what did he mean by that? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Put it up as fast as, it, as possible. Look at verse 4. And what is that blessing? Verse 4. He says, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and without blame before him in love. So what is the blessing? What is that spiritual blessing? The fact that in Christ you are holy and without blame. Anybody blessed like that? Just begin to give him praise right now. We'll pick this up next week and expatiate more. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. 
Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Hallelujah. And so the Bible says in Galatians 3, 6, it says, even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 7, know therefore that they which are of faith, meaning those who believe, it says they are children of Abraham. Why does he call you a child of Abraham? Because you believe like Abraham believed. And if you believe what Abraham believed, you are declared righteous as Abraham was declared righteous. And so he tells us in the 13th verse, verse, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Be made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. He says that the blessing of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles through faith. Gentiles include Nigerians. It includes everyone who is not a Jew. And that's how come we're here praising his name and worshiping him. Are you declared righteous? Any such person. The Bible says David talked about the blessedness of the man to whom righteousness is imputed without works. Saying blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. So the fact that all you needed to do to receive salvation is to believe what Christ has done. That's the blessing of Abraham. You know that blessing we used to sing about in children's church, I am blessed in the morning, I am blessed in the evening. The blessing of Abraham is justification by faith. That by looking at the cross and what Christ has done, all your sins are taken away. And you receive the gift of righteousness. The gift of eternal life. Oh, that's a blessing. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness, all the children of Israel had to do was to look. And everyone who looked, lived. Have you looked at the cross? It says that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see your place in his work? Now, that's interpretation. You've come to a new realm of understanding the Bible when you begin to see your place in his work. That's what Paul prayed that you will see. That you will know the hope of his calling. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The exceeding greatness of his power. Us world who believe. I see my place in his world. And what he did he said that I did. He died and rose, and so did I. I am. I want you to pray a prayer. Lord, in the name of Jesus, today I commit to seriousness in Bible study. I commit to learning your word of God 
with a new dedication and discipline. I put aside mediocrity. I put aside laziness in the name of Jesus. He says that you henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Lord, I get serious. I get serious. I choose to get serious. Serious with your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. So now, we have started a series. I want you to plug in fully. Don't miss any service. Midweek service, Sunday service, don't miss it. I believe that this is a very important series that will change your life. Um, I, and um, your profiting will appear to all by the time we're done. Please say loud, amen. amen. Were you blessed today? Give the Lord a shout. Say thank you, Jesus. All right, please take your seats. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings. Blessings.